Welcome to Miked Up Sports, the show that gives people in sports an unfiltered platform to share their stories. If you want to help us tell more stories, check us out at patreon.com slash television, paypal.me slash television, or on Cash App at TSB Television. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another live edition of Miked Up Sports, the show that goes in depth with the people who build our sports community. If you're joining us live on Facebook, thanks for tuning in. Feel free to drop a comment. And as long as it's PG, because this is a family friendly podcast, uh, we will read it on the air. And if you're watching us through our YouTube and Spotify channels on demand, we're glad you can join us there as well. Joining us is Megan Mandel of Loyola Marymount Women's Basketball. Minnesota fans may remember her when she was hooping it up for the Orno Spartans back in the day. She just finished the 2020-21 campaign for the Lions of Loyola Marymount and did quite well. Megan, unfortunately, you're not in the tournament this year, but uh, maybe next year, You'll find yourself in the field of 64 and then you can play in it instead of watching it. But no matter what, we're glad uh, you can take part of your day with us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Well, if you don't mind me starting with this, you, as you noted, you've been following the women's tournament. A lot of your fellow Minnesota friends are competing in it. And I imagine you got word about the disparity in resources between the men's and women's tournaments, specifically with weight room equipment, food provisions and the like. What did you make of it? And what does it mean for women's basketball to see companies step in right away? There wasn't uh, any pulling of hairs, anything like that. Dick Sporting Goods, and I think a couple of others have said, hey, we'll step in and fix this for you. It's not the headline I think the NCAA wanted at the start of the tournament, but I think it speaks to how much support there is for women's basketball. Yeah, I definitely think it's, well, seeing the disparities, it's really hard as a woman because knowing how much work that these um, student athletes have put in, um, I can only imagine how frustrating it must be to go and see one or two dumbbells compared to literally the men's weight room, which is so massive. And um, I know somebody talked about the money and everybody talks about money, the disparity between women and men's basketball, but um, someone actually sent out a statement saying it wasn't money at all, that it was space. And um, an athlete clashed back and was like, look at all the space we have, like that's just not even an excuse. And so I think that's something that's frustrating for me is that there's a lot of excuses that come um, when seeing the disparities between men and women's basketballs or men's and women's basketball. But um, like you said, the exporting goods, Orange Theory, there was a lot of big people that stepped up. And I think that's huge, especially with how big of a platform women's basketball can be and should be, um, because there's just as much work put in on that side. And I think it's, I mean, obviously equality, but I think it's huge to see that people are stepping up and they hear us and they see us. And um, hopefully there's going to be changes made in the future, because I think it's huge. Well, I'd like to think that we'll have a more normal tournament next year with the vaccine being rolled out and people taking it. If we can build enough immunity, then we can go back to the regional sites. But on a related subject, 
I think it speaks to how much attention or how you can't just shrug this off when Nick Young, I think of the Lakers was trying to come at this whole thing with the argument that women's basketball isn't a moneymaker. And yes, I know it has a ways to go, but we have to remember the men's versions had a 50 year head start. When you look at the NBA, the men's tournament. So it, it takes time, <laughs> but Don Staley, you may have, spotted this sent a reply to him going oh, oh i hope you remember this when you have a conversation with your daughter about how she isn't a money maker and we still have a long way to go and unfortunately i think sexism won't go away overnight but i would say it's encouraging that more people are standing up for themselves and standing up for this sport there might have been a time where the attitude was we're happy to be here. We don't see that anymore. We're seeing a lot of assertiveness from athletes like yourself who are saying, we go just as hard as the men. You don't have to prove that to me, of course, but like, we're here. We're not going anywhere, if you know what I mean. Definitely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think, well, and I think that part of his comment said that the women were the JV of, or, or something to that fact. And I think that, and doesn't, and he does have a daughter, right? And so I think that that was, that's what's sad to me is that he has a daughter and she's going to grow up and she's going to need support like that. And I mean, I don't know if the father is going to be the person to do that. And I think that's really sad. And I'm sure it, that's fairly common nowadays. I'm not really sure, but yeah, I do like that. There was a lot of people again that had um, comments to say to him and other things that kind of put him in his place because that's not right at all. So well, and those conversations included fellow NBA players. And a couple of years ago, I had a former coach on my podcast series. He's also an author and now a city council member for Waconia. But, you know, he spoke of how coaching girls basketball helped him transition to becoming a big women's basketball fan where folks like him and myself were indifferent at first. But once we got our first uh, taste of it, in my case, it was covering high school ball in the St. Paul Central Super Team years of Angel Robinson. For him, it was coaching, but it doesn't take much to convert us. And I've enjoyed the people I've gotten to meet, yourself included. It's been 15 years since I started covering women's basketball, and I don't have any regrets about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, 15 years, that's, that's crazy. And I just even remember in high school, like, that's what six years ago for me so I mean time flies but it's definitely it's definitely fun so fun indeed and this is an oral history podcast so I imagine the fun with basketball for you began at a young age but Megan do you recall the first moment or memory that got you attracted to the sport of basketball um Yes. So I went to a Catholic elementary school. I was in like a small little private school. And um, that was kind of the time where you try every sport and kind of see what you're good at, see what you like. Um, my mom is like six foot tall. My dad's six, eight. So there's a lot of height in my family. They both played basketball in college, St. John's, my dad played. Um, and so I kind of tried different things. Of course, basketball was one of them and instantly fell in love. I was so terrible. Um, I played throughout elementary school pretty casually. I didn't get my first pair of basketball shoes until like seventh grade, I would say. And um, that's when I went to Orno. So I transferred from that um, private school to Orno. And 
Um, that was my first like competitive, I would say, time of playing basketball. And I had an amazing coach, Lawrence Barnes, who coached me from seventh grade all the way through high school. He was my assistant varsity coach and um, he was amazing. And he just helped me grow as a player. Um, but yeah, it took a lot of growing. I was on like the B team, the C team, all the way up until my freshman year of high school when I actually started playing varsity. So I had a lot of growing to do, but my passion started, I would say probably fourth grade when we were in like the music, we were in like the choir room when my coach, who was also my music teacher, he would write up little plays for us. And um, it was it was different, but it was definitely a fun time, so. You said your dad played for St. Johnson College. Where did your mother play? She actually played at St. Ben's. I believe she played on the team, but. Okay, I was thinking, what if she attended St. Thomas? Uh, what, what? No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Although that rivalry now is going to change with St. Thomas going D1, but I'm like, oh, that's. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, so they, so, they, so they both went to the same college because, yeah, St. Benedict and St. John's, I understand, are the brother sister mm -hmm. schools on that campus. And you mentioned uh, height being a big thing in your family. Something I asked taller players just to get a taste of their experience and because other listeners might be tuning in who may be going through what you did, the toughest thing for them when they're six foot plus are finding clothes that fit, shoes that fit. And then there are some other uh, moments as well where you can be singled out for being tall. I'm just wondering, Megan, what was your experience growing up being one of the tallest figures all the way through high school? Yeah, well, it started really in elementary school. I was definitely taller than most people. Um, middle school, of course, it was different because I was growing and nobody else was. Um, back then, when I say back then, but in middle school, it was <laughs> it was harder to find clothes that fit. It was, it was getting better, but it was harder to find clothes that fit. And so um, my jeans were always shorter or I couldn't wear the same dresses, you know, that girls were wearing that I thought were so cute. And um, it was, it was harder. I was less confident in like seventh and eighth grade. And then as I entered high school, I don't know if either clothes became more easier to find or I just became more confident in what I was wearing. Um, but I just loved, I loved it. I loved every minute of being tall and I made things fit my body. I wasn't worried about, oh my gosh, is this going to fit? I made it fit and I made it work. And um, I rolled up the jeans that didn't fit. And, you know, I put shorts under the dresses that didn't fit and you know you, you make it work and luckily now there's a lot of um taller lines of clothing that um work for taller people but i mean you just gotta make it work and i love every minute of being tall i love being tall and for me it's again it's not about hoping that the pants are gonna fit it's just making it fit to your body and it's gonna look good no matter how you wear it so um obviously when you're young, you don't understand that and you don't grow up with people around you that are like you when you're giant. I was like six one in eighth grade or whatever, but um, yeah, growing, growing into my own body was definitely something that was exciting and <laughs> it was definitely a big part of my life for sure, so. And then as you get older, I imagine it gets a little easier, especially in college basketball because you're competing against fellow posts who are close to your height. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, having like volleyball players around and other basketball players around, like you said, there's a lot of people that are like me now. <laughs> there's a lot of giant people that are taller than me. And so 
you know, you have someone to laugh about, like when we get team gear and the um, pants are too short, you know, you just laugh about it and you put them on and you roll your socks over the ends and, you know, you just, you make it fun and you make it how you want it and you wear it because it's going to look good no matter how you wear it, as long as you're confident and you feel good in it. And so, yeah, it's been fun. It's been a fun process. Well, I do appreciate the positive attitude and the creativity you take when it comes to apparel. Uh, so the clothes you make fit, I'm guessing shoes, you don't have to jump through as many hoops to make those fit. You, you don't have to put your shorts over them, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I mean, when I was younger, I had to wear women's shoes when I was like in elementary school or whatever. So that was harder because I couldn't wear like cute little Velcro shoes or anything. I always had bigger feet, but um, again, now I can wear cute men's basketball shoes. I can find sneakers that I like that fit and, um, you know, you just make it work. You make it work. That's, that's the name of the game. <laughs> so. Well, I think we could say the same about your basketball acumen. You noted how it, there was a growing process and a huge learning curve. You started on the C team, then the B team, and then you made your way up through the varsity ranks. So what was that learning curve like? And when did you start getting the confidence that you were mastering these skills to the point where the sport could take you places? Oh, it was a long process. Like you said, in seventh grade, I got my first pair of basketball shoes. And I remember going to my first basketball tryout and I had no experience. I had didn't even have shoes to wear. I had to borrow a pair of shoes from a girl I had met on my soccer team. So it was a pretty scary thing. Um, that was like one of my first biggest risks you could say that I had taken. And um, I was just having fun with it. I didn't care what team I made, you know, I was just going up and I didn't really think about playing competitively. It was never, I didn't think about summer basketball. I was just having fun. And so seventh grade, I played eighth grade, I played. And then people was like, were like, okay, like this girl has a little bit of potential. She's growing fast, you know, she's growing into her body a little bit becoming more coordinated, like still not very good. Um, and so my coach reached out, Lawrence Barnes, again, he reached out and he was like, we need to get you in some training. So um, I worked with him. I would get up at like six in the morning and we would go to the park and we did this literally probably every single day, the entire summer. And I would do backboard touches and I would work, he would pull out a garbage can and that would be my defense. And he would just teach me how to drop step. And he taught me how to hook shot and all these things that I didn't even know existed in basketball. I just had known you just put the basket in the hoop or the ball in the hoop. So as I got better and more confident in what I was doing, um, I kind of grew into my body and it kind of clicked for me. So I would say like, the transition from like eighth grade to ninth grade was a big jump for me because I went from basically the B team to varsity. Um, I had put in the work, I had put in the time, I was getting stronger, I was in different training regimens and I was just kind of figuring out this new way of basketball, which is more competitive. Um, he got me involved in my first um, AAU basketball team with Metro Stars. And then eventually I moved over to Minnesota Stars, Martin for my last three years, four years after that. So um, it was it was really a long process and it was a lot of days um, in the gym by myself and a lot of summers in the heat, early mornings, I had to bike to the park because my mom would work full time. So, I mean, it was just a lot of things I had to figure out, but I knew I loved it and I knew that this is something I wanted to do for a long time. So 
I was willing to do it. And, um, every single year I got better. I got so much better. And, um, it was just, it was fun. And that, if that was like the biggest sign to me that like, you got to trust the process. Cause I mean, I literally started with a pair of, you know, normal tennis shoes and then ended up being on a really competitive team in high school and AAU. So it was really fun. And as you were growing up, once you started to embrace the sport of basketball, who were the idols, the people you looked up to that you wanted to be like uh, when you were growing into your body and building your skill set, developing into the player you are now? Who were the people that you looked up to that helped you get there in a spiritual sense? Oh my gosh, there were so many of them. I mean, in high school, I just, I would always go, I was really invested in high school basketball. I really, I would go with my head coach, Ellen Weesey. We, I would go with her to scout. So all these high school players, when I was a freshman, all these seniors and all these people in the state tournament, I always looked up to them. Um, I remember watching um, Nia Coffey was one of them. I was, I was watching Nia Coffey in the state tournament. And I remember watching the Providence team in the state tournament. And I was literally such a baby, but those girls to me were like idols to me. And as I grew older, it more developed into college basketball and then obviously um, professional basketball. And so now I would say like Maya Moore was someone that really stood out to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of when I was younger, it was like the older girls. So the high school girls, cause that's who I saw myself becoming was my goals were to be all conference. And that was like my biggest thing when I was a freshman, I heard about it. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And it ended up that I was all conference, I think for four years, I can't remember specifically, but that was like my one little goal. Um, and each year it would kind of grew into something bigger. I mean, I started again, I started, my goal was to get basketball shoes. And my goal was to get off the C team, get on the B team. And then my goal was to, you know, make varsity. And then my goal was to be all conference. And after that, it was like my goal is to get a college scholarship. And it, so my, 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 sight of the world, my sight of what I could do, my potential grew every single year. And with that, um, I became more confident in myself. And it was, it was really cool. It was really, it was a huge developmental period in my life that I just kind of kept pushing the limits of what I thought I could do. And um, what I think other people, I mean, other people saw potential in me, but I mean, it's not even there unless you see it in yourself. So it was, it was really cool. And your arrival, Daniel Jorgensen, of course, uh, came in the same year as you did. So you mentioned get, making varsity in ninth grade and your arrival was part of an ascension process in the case of Orno, because I think the season before you suited up for varsity, they won a total of four games, mm -hmm. but their roster was decimated by injury. But over time, as you got older, Danielle and then Tori Andrew and you know, Orno had some solid players. I think all three of you went D1. You went from a sub 500 team to a team that was two wins away from winning the state championship. Of course, Orno would get one the year after you graduated, but yeah <laughs> you know it's like you know what I'd like to think that uh, the year they won it uh, was. <laughs> Well, meant something to all of you who helped build the way or build that path too. Um, but what did that mean for you to be part of this program, to be part of this uh, refit where this was a school that didn't have a lot to speak of, uh, 
But over time with you and Danielle and Ellen Weesey at the helm, you've turned that program into one to be reckoned with. Yeah, I mean, again, it was just like the learning and growing process. As we got older, we just got better. And um, that's how it was for every single girl on that team. I mean, it wasn't me, it wasn't Danielle, it was everybody. And um, they were like, yeah, they were like three and 28 or so. I don't even know, something crazy. They won three games, three and yeah. And freshman year, I think we were 500. And then, you know, we kind of grew, we knew we weren't going to go from three and 28 to 31 and 0, you know, we knew that it was going to take some time. And um, <clears throat> with Ellen as a head coach, she's amazing. She put in all the work and she scouted and she got people in positions that they would be successful. And um, me and Danielle, we really grew and we would go, she would come with me and we would scout together and we would work out together. And we really grew in our chemistry as a team. And I think that was huge was our relationships. Um, sophomore year, junior year. I mean, we just, we all had the best chemistry ever. And I mean, it showed on the court, we were just being successful and Tori came in, she transferred in. And I mean, it was incredible. I mean, we had our first state tournament run my junior year and we got to, we were in third place. We got third place, which was, I mean, that was incredible. We had never been to state before and like it was everything we ever wanted. And obviously my senior year, we wanted to win state. We were not, we were ranked number one the entire year, got upset in the section championship, something I'll never forget. Um, but you know, it wasn't even about that. It was literally from Again, we started from the bottom. We had not won anything. Um, and we grew so much and we learned so much. And I learned that like, again, I learned how to lose. I learned how to win. I learned how to work with different types of people. Um, I learned how to be coachable. I learned how to grow relationships with my coach, Ellen and Lo and Nibi, my assistant coach. Um, and that how important these relationships are because I still communicate with them all the time. And when I go home, I see them and they're, they're kids, they have kids. And um, it's just, it's really cool. It really is. And I think that was like such an important period of my life where I grew so much as a person and it really set me up for college and for life forever, so. I do find it amusing Megan, and I know the way high school ball works, it, it, this will happen, but one of your opponents your senior year was Eden Prairie, if I recall, which is where uh, your high school coach is now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of a, a little amusing footnote there, but yep, it was your junior year. I do remember that now. And even though you didn't get to win a state title, I think every high school kid has that aspiration. What did you enjoy most about the high school experience and having that opportunity to put Orno on the map in a sport where they had never made state before until you got there? You know, I think it was, it was really cool to set an example for the younger kids that anything's possible, that it doesn't matter who you have, what you have, you work with what you have. And um, I will never forget the entire state tournament. I remember the times that we were on the bus. I remember the times that we were playing. I remember all of it. And um, it, it was such a cool experience. And I think, I mean, it, it just shows that the year after I left, they won the state championship. And I think that building this foundation was huge for the younger girls that are now participating in um, high school basketball. Um, <clears throat> and in high school, we had mentorship programs and I was a mentor for um, every year we had different teams. So I had like kindergarten or third grade or eighth grade. And, you know, every year 
I would mentor these girls and the whole varsity team would have a different team to mentor. And I think that was like crucial to the foundation of Orno basketball. I think showing these girls that you can be strong, powerful women, because I didn't have that when I was in seventh grade and I needed it. I needed someone to be like, you're going to be amazing. Like you're going to be strong because it's kind of this weird time where you're figuring out like what it's like, you know, it's like the first life crisis is when you're in middle school, I feel like, but yeah, I just, I think it's important for girls to have someone to look up to. And I always wanted to be that person. Um, and so now it's, it's cool because I go back and I watch them play and Danielle is actually, she's coaching at Orno. So um, it's fun to kind of see everything come full circle and it's cool to see um, all the people I used to know. And my little brother was, he's a senior. So I watched him play and they got a whole new arena and everything. So it was just, it's really cool to see the foundation that we lay and then kind of run with it. So. You truly embrace that saying, be the person you wish you had when you were younger, as far as your approach. And you actually brought up something that I wanted to discuss with you with your work, mentoring the younger kids. That was something you did a lot of at Orno, volunteering with the Special Olympics and the Miracle Buddies basketball program. The Special Olympics, I know what that is. Miracle Buddies, I don't, but what led you to volunteer with those organizations and what did you gain from that experience? Yeah, um, I think, well, I think it started, I don't know if it started as early as middle school, but in high school, um, we knew that basketball was a huge part of our lives and we wanted to give back. Um, so I knew that pe people on my team had connections to these different, different organizations around and they were like, we should go hang out with these kids. Um, so Miracle Buddies, what it is, is basically not sure if it's like a camp, this was kind of like a long time ago or if it's an organization, but basically we would go once a month and um, we would kind of buddy up with these um, kids that have special needs and all different variety of needs. Um, and we would just play, it was like a basketball day camp and some would be in wheelchairs and some would be different types of mobility. Um, but one common theme was that they were all incredible and they were all positive and that they really changed my life for sure. I mean, I remember, I still have pictures with the little kids that I met and I would love to connect with them now because they're incredible. But um, we would just kind of, we would either grab a wheelchair and like, you know, run these kids around and play tag or um, we would teach kids how to dribble or, I mean, it was like, it was incredible. And we really connected on a deep level and we would go back and they would always run and give us a hugs and we connected with their families and um, it was it was amazing. And Orno does a really good job about um, working with Special Olympics. They have clubs and everything. So I was a part of the club um, <clears throat> and you can be a coach. There's just so many cool things that you can do. And um, it definitely like that inspired me. Every time I went on the court, I'm like, these kids can't do what I can do. They're limited. They can't, they're not as mobile as I am there, you know? And so it kind of gave me something to play for every single day. And it was exciting to be on the court. And I wanted to work hard for them, for my buddy, for, you know, the kids that can't. And I think everybody should be able to experience that because it's, it was incredible. So. And I understand that after you're done with basketball, you have teaching aspirations based on the research I did. And 
one avenue you're considering is working with special education. Did your participation with Special Olympics Miracle Buddies, did that have any influence in this career pursuit of yours? Um, definitely. I would say that um, there's a lot of different things that I'm interested in. Um, I haven't narrowed down exactly what I want to do yet. Um, right now I'm in like the science route. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things, um, but one common theme is that I know I want to work with kids. And that definitely did stem from my early years of working with them. I think that um, whatever I do, whether I'm a teacher or whether I'm um, a nurse or a physical therapist or anything like that, I know I want to work with kids because they really inspire me and their energy brings me energy. And um, I just think it's so cool to watch kids grow up and you have these relationships with them and their family and they become like family to you. So I think um, whatever I do, it will be with kids. Um, but definitely it was inspired by my early days of working with them. So. Well, Megan, it wouldn't surprise me if you found a way to roll all of those pursuits and interests of yours into one or find a way to, uh, bring them all in, whether it's training or teaching. And I can't wait to see what comes next in that route. As you were making your way through the high school ranks, which included that state tournament run in 2015, and you know, came oh so close, but as we've seen with the tournaments, single elimination, it's the beauty and the beast of it. You just never know what will happen. So that's what makes those wins so great and those losses so painful. But we all know that it got you on a path to a division one scholarship. Initially it was Marquette, so I'm wondering, Megan, how many offers were you fielding and what led you to start your college career at Marquette? Um, this is something that I actually kept really private in high school. My mom uh, mentored me to, you know, keep the process quiet because I wanted to stay humble. Um, I had a good amount of offers in coming out of high school um, from all over. And even the day I committed, I had a really big um, coach call me. But for me, it was, it was about finding the perfect fit. And it, it was where I was gonna be most successful, but also where I was gonna be happy. And Marquette is an amazing school and there's amazing people there, but it just wasn't the right fit for me. Um, so that's ultimately what led me to enter the transfer. Well, they didn't have the transfer portal back then, but <laughs> enter the transfer process and um, ultimately land in LA, so. And that's an interesting move to make, Megan, and only because even though you didn't play a lot, your Marquette team that year won the Big East title, got to play in the NCAA tournament. So there was a lot going for that school. But as you said, sometimes even in the midst of success, it may not be the best fit. Mm -hmm. uh, when did you feel like you were ready to try something else? And when you decided you were going to make this change, how did Loyola Marymount stand out? <clears throat> Again, this was kind of like a long process, um, but I would say throughout most of the year at Marquette, I just kind of felt like something was missing and I didn't really know what. Um, I had a really good relationship with my teammates and so it made it really hard. Um, but after the season ended, I kind of sat down and I really thought about what I was looking for in a school and what, what I would need from a school, what would I would need from a coach what I would need from the program. And I just kind of wrote down the pros and the cons of what it would be like at a new school. And cause obviously grass is always greener um, or what it would be like 
you know, staying at Marquette. And um, ultimately, I just knew that that wouldn't, that place would not make me happy. And um, I ended up, <clears throat> I think I put my name out, or gave my name to Minnesota Stars program director, and he kind of put my name out there. Um, I kind of made my own announcement, I believe, on Twitter, Instagram, something like that, and worked through my AAU coach, Tracy Martin, and we kind of collectively worked together to come up with a game plan because again, it wasn't there was no transfer portal, so it was a lot, a lot harder to connect with people. Um, once my name was out there, I started getting you know calls, emails, the whole shebang from high school, letters, you name it, um, and it was overwhelming because I didn't want to make the wrong decision. I didn't want to be unhappy. You know, I had already had a really hard year um, mentally, emotionally, physically at Marquette. And I didn't want to go through that again. So um, there was a period of time where I didn't want to play basketball. And I was just like, I don't know if this is the right thing for me because I just, I'm really struggling. I feel like I need to be home. You know, there's so many things I applied to schools as if I were not playing basketball. And really it was my mom that pushed me and was like, and she wasn't like forcing me, but she was just like, I know that there's more left in you. And um, I took visits to D1 schools and I just, I still didn't feel it. Um, and I got a call from Loyola Marymount, Had, hadn't even heard, heard of the college before. Didn't even know, hadn't been in California before. It was kind of like, sure, I'll take a visit, but I'm probably not gonna go there kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> I'm a homebody. You know, I'm really close to my family. So that's why I went to Marquette in the first place. It was, it was, you know, an easy location. And I took my first visit out to LMU and I was, I woke up on my, and I remember the exact moment. I woke up on my official visit. I hadn't even had my visit yet. And I was like, this is the place. And it was the craziest thing. Um, I believe everything happens for a reason. It was the craziest feeling. And I'm like, this is it. I actually had another official visit planned that I had canceled. Um, but I took my visit, I fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the girls, fell in love with the coaching staff. And I was just like, this is where I wanna be. This is where I wanna spend the next four years. So <clears throat> I called the other coaches, I canceled my visits, literally in the airport, I called to my, called my coach and I committed and I was just like, and I was there two weeks later cause this all happened pretty late. But yeah, I was literally on campus two weeks later. That had been the first time I'd been to California it just, it was the craziest thing. And I was terrified. I didn't want to play basketball. I didn't think I want to play basketball. Um, there, there was just so many things I looked at. I looked at playing at a different level. I looked at, you know, so many different factors. And I mean, coming here has instilled my passion above and beyond, my passion above and beyond. And I'm so glad that I took the risk. And I'm so glad that I listened to my mom. She pushed me and, um, it was the best decision ever. So, I think we should also add, Megan, uh, you should give props for listening to yourself. You visit Loyola Marymount, a school you had never heard of. And it's kind of funny. I laugh because that was me. Like, I knew of the school name. I had no idea it was in LA. I'm like, oh, that, another LA school. Because like, yeah. uh, when I think of LA, you think of USC or UCLA, you know, the big LA schools. But there's another one. And it's kind of funny. You wanted to stay close to home and here's a school you never heard of. And it turns out to be the perfect fit. Yes. And I'd say it's worked out quite well for you, just based on our conversations. But I noticed kind of like 
your experience through the Orno program, starting at the lowest level, then making your way to varsity. Of course, we don't quite have that in Division One, but mm -hmm. in terms of your statistical output, you had to sit out that first season, of course, due to the transfer rule. Yeah. And then slowly but surely, you have uh, become more productive. And I always say you're more than your stat sheet. So don't ever think that even if you score two points that you don't mean something to somebody. But I'm curious, how difficult was it to sit out that first year? And then once you were able to suit up again, what was that experience like? And how would you say you have improved over time? Yeah, that first year, um... I'll just say this now, like I needed that year because <clears throat> again, I was not, I was not in the right mindset coming from the other school that I was at. I was not in the right mindset. I was not mentally tough. I was not physically strong. I was not, I was not ready to play at this level yet. And, um, sitting out that year, I lifted five days a week, four days a week. I practiced with the team every single day and I got them better. I swatted a couple shots. You know, I was the hype woman on the bench. Um, it was, it was hard. It was so hard. I, I wanted to be out there, but I knew that I needed that year. Um, <clears throat> and I grew so much as a player. I learned the system of the school. I learned how the girls play. I'm a very observant person. So I just watched, I saw that this person likes to dribble. This person likes to shoot, you know, Kind of saw like how can I benefit this team and so that's why that year was huge I got stronger I got smarter I got <clears throat> I got more college experience without having to have the pressure of being on the court yet when I wasn't ready um and then the next couple of years didn't really get as much experience as um I probably would have liked I didn't get a whole lot of minutes I didn't get you know a whole lot of experience because there was a lot of other girls that had been there for a long time who had experience and they were stronger and, you know, there's different things. Um, but I wasn't going to let that happen for much longer. I worked my butt off and I got stronger and my shot got sharper and um, <clears throat> I got smarter in the sense of defense. When can I send a ball and when can I, you know, not risk it? So, um, that was last summer and I worked my butt off all summer long. And um, there was obviously ups and downs, but I came into this season with the mindset that I wasn't, wasn't gonna be like the other seasons that I was, I was gonna demand my spot and I was gonna demand a starting spot and I was gonna do it through work. And I was never gonna, I was never gonna talk. I never once talked to my coach about it. I never once, I, you have to prove things to people. That's, that's, that's what I feel. If I don't deserve it, then I'm not gonna get it. Um, and I think coming into this season, I surprised a lot of people, including myself. I think that um, I had not really had much court experience. And then I stepped in, and I started every single game of the season. And um, really, I just kind of surprised myself every day. But um, I knew that I had it in me. And I knew that there was, it was in there deep down. It was just, it took a long time for me to really bring it out. Um, and I give props to my coach for giving me the opportunity to do that because again, I mean, it's not something that we had seen before or she had seen before or my teammates had seen before. It's something that I knew that I had, but again, you can only say, everybody can say that, you know? So I think that having my coach and my teammates trust me this year was huge. And I hope that I proved to them that, you know, I'm the player that I know I can be and 
I'm excited for next season to hopefully do the same thing or expand it even more. I want to score more. I want to get more blocks. You know, I want to get more rebounds. I want to be more aggressive all around and hopefully translate that into a professional basketball career. So <clears throat> professional basketball career too. Well, Megan, I, you know, I'd say it's like, Hey, go for that. You, you'll, you've already are going to have teaching and <laughs> training down. Why not add pro basketball player to the resume? You've got everything else covered, but you're talking about your sharp shot shot selection, almost tongue tied myself. I want to run some numbers. And again, I don't emphasize this because it's all about stats or this isn't all about stats, but you, know, you went from a bench player your first couple of years when you were eligible, you started every game this past season. Uh, you've shot over 50% in the last couple of seasons. You had a game where you got 18 rebounds against Grand Canyon. And so you went from a bench player that would chip in here and there to, you know, a starter. Maybe you don't have the explosive numbers that some scores do, but you did average roughly seven and a half points, five and a half rebounds. And as we noted, you had some big games, whether it was 18 rebounds against Grand Canyon or uh, 24 points when you played Santa Clara. So I think, as you said, you knew you could pull this off, but you wanted to prove it to your coach and everyone else. You didn't want to walk before you could run as the saying goes. And I would say you did so with what you had accomplished this season. And you've already spoken of the excitement for next year and your final year of eligibility, but how cool was it for you to work your way into a starting spot after you know, a year at Marquette that was difficult on you, having to go through the process it was a three-year journey just to get this far. How gratifying is it? And what did you learn from it that you think will help you not only for next season, but moving forward? Um, I mean, again, my whole life to me is just kind of trust the process. And, you know, I've every, every segment of my life from start to now is, is been started from the bottom. Now I'm here. And so literally that's, you could say that's my theme song for life. I just, I take these short segments and I was at Marquette, I was at the bottom. And this past season, I'm breaking records at LMU and I, my name's in the record book and I feel like I've just begun. And I think that um, seeing that for myself is like so incredibly exciting because I have another year and I have another opportunity to get better and to get stronger and to get sharper. and. Like you said, I maybe wouldn't have thought about playing professionally <clears throat> two, three years ago, but when I finally brought out my potential and I'm starting to hear from agents and I'm, you know, I'm starting to connect with different, different things, trying to think about my future. It's like, you know, why not? I, I wasn't doing much two years ago and, you know, next year I'm expecting to do a lot more. And I'm like, my, my thing is, you know, why stop now? If I can push myself beyond limits people set for me, I mean, there's a lot of coaches that said, I don't think you'll make it at the D1 level. And I think it was more because of an emotional thing or a mental thing that was going on. I think physically I can, I can do that, but emotionally I might not have been able to coming from the place that I was at and um, <clears throat> just kind of pushing past those, those limits that, are not there, but people set on you is it's really, it's exciting and it's fun. And 
my name will always be in the LMU record book and it will always be on the NCAA blocks list. And it'll always be out there as a symbol of where I was and where I am now and where I'm going to be. And um, I think that in life there's, you either succeed or you learn. And there's a lot of learning I've had to do um, to get me where I am today. And um, I'm just excited. I'm excited for the future. And um, if things don't work out, then, you know, I take a different path and I learn or they work out. And there's not a lot of things that I've put my mind to that haven't worked out. So um, I just, I have a lot of work to do and I have a lot of gym time left. I have to, I have injuries that I have to heal. And um, it's, I have, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I almost forgot. So thanks for reminding me, Megan, that you've led the team in blocks for the last two years. And I didn't know that you were in the NCAA record books already or the LMU. So uh, yeah, uh, you're going to set the bar for well, someone else perhaps down the road, but uh, no matter what, your name will be a part of that LMU program. And I think that's really cool. I'm curious, Megan, since you've led the team in blocks, rebounds, I imagine being six foot four helps, but what is the key? And I'm not looking to divulge any secrets for opponents <laughs> next year, but what is the key to being a proficient blocker? Because I imagine there's a lot of timing and you also have to have good control of your body so that you don't get called for fouls. Uh, but from your perspective, what makes a good blocker? Um, I think it really is about IQ, just knowing when to go. And this is something that I'm always learning. I'm growing. I, you know, I, you always can learn, but I think it's a lot about timing. It's a lot about, um, really just like coordination. Like you just have to know when and where to hit the ball. And I had some really fun and exciting blocks this year. Um, had some fun, big block games. And I, I was, I think I got up to fourth in NCAA in blocks this year. <clears throat> and so, um, I think that there was, there was a lot of fouls that were called. Um, I didn't foul out. I eventually backed off, but um, it's kind of, you got to get a feel for how the refs are going to, are going to call the game. That's one of the biggest things. And are they going to let me smack it, swat it? Or is it something where if I tip my hands down, you know, it's a foul. So that's probably the biggest thing that I look for. I'm, I'm like immediately, if I get a foul, I'm like, okay, I need to back off. Um, but if I get a couple good swats and I'm like, all right, you know, we're going to have a fun game. We're going to, we're going to do this. And so there was a couple games where they let me kind of swat. I think I had a seven, seven blocks in one game, um, <clears throat> which was, it was fun because I haven't been able to block shots like that since high school. And again, I have now, I was getting the minutes and I was getting the opportunity to do it. So it kind of brought my confidence up, but yeah, I think that, that answers the question. <laughs> well, Megan, there are no wrong answers on this podcast, so any answer is acceptable. And another thing I think you'll be able to communicate to agents and potential employers in pro basketball is perseverance because you, along with everyone else, had to play amidst a pandemic, having to deal with protocols and routines that hopefully won't be a thing next year, but... You, know, you had to navigate through all of that. It also meant that 
your best season came in front of a limited audience, most venues not allowing fans for safety reasons. So what would you make of this past season? You're balling it out. You're making history at LMU, but you're having to do so in front of empty gyms, again, for safety reasons. What did you make of this past year now that it's done and you have a chance to heal and reduce your chances of exposure? I think that this COVID year was hard on everybody. I, I know it was hard on everybody. I mean, some teams didn't even get to play. Um, I, I really struggled in the beginning of the season. I didn't get the summer of training that we normally get. I had COVID, so I had some really serious lasting effects that um, impacted how I was performing physically in the beginning of the season. So the first couple months of training, it was really hard on me physically. I was just drained. I was so drained. Um, <clears throat> but as I pushed my body, I pushed myself within reason and I, I was, I really wanted to be successful. So once I kind of got over those barriers that COVID, you know, had placed in front of me, um, I just, I think that we took this year and this is props to my coach and my, um, my teammates, but we took this year as the grand adventure. And my coach kept saying that because, I mean, every single week we would have a different player go down with injury um, because we didn't have the training that we normally had. So there was weaknesses, there was, I mean, you name it. And I unfortunately suffered some pretty serious injuries this year, up and down that I battled, but ultimately it ended up being okay. But it was, it was a really hard physical and mental year just of trying to get through the barriers. I mean, we couldn't, like you said, I couldn't have my family come watch me play my first big year. I couldn't see people um, when I would go travel and there was just a lot of, we couldn't have team meals. It was like little things like that. That was really hard on us, but I mean, it was a free year. I get another year to play basketball. And that is the greatest gift that COVID could have ever given me is another opportunity to be great. And I think that this was one of the best years ever because I grew mentally, I grew physically, I grew in my basketball skills and I just grew in being comfortable and being okay with, you know, being alone and not always needing that social interaction and just like kind of finding out who I am. I don't mean to get like all, you know, deep and whatever, but I really, I did, I found out that like, different things that I like to do that I might not have if I didn't have the time. And so I think that this COVID year, although it was really hard, it was one of the most important years of my development as a person and player. So what you're telling me is that next year you're going to average a double-double, right? I mean, I have a lot of work to do this summer, but <laughs> I really have high goals for my last year. <laughs> yes, and, and obviously, even if you don't get there, I think what you've accomplished already is worthy of salutation. As I said before, I don't base my friendships that I built through basketball on the stat sheet. With one year to go, and even with your experiences now, what have you enjoyed most about being a division one athlete coming from this, this town in Minnesota? I don't wanna say small town, but Orno, not exactly part of the Twin Cities area. So you, you have to make a bit of a trek. You know, Orno would always pay a lot of visits to the metro area, so we all knew who you were back then. Yeah. But to come from this town that's you know not part of the metro area, and then to go through what you did, 
find the fit you were looking for at LMU. And as you said, take all of the criticisms you were getting about not being division one material. And now no matter what, you've etched your name in the record books for LMU, in the leaderboards, in the entire NCAA. With all of that, what have you enjoyed most about the division one experience? Oh my gosh, there's so many different things. Um, I love to learn, I love to grow. It just, I think that, so everything that I've been talking about is just what excites me is learning. And I think the division one process is all about learning. I mean, from the day you step on campus, from the day you leave campus, you're always learning about something. And <clears throat> I think that specifically me taking the risk to come out to Los Angeles to some place I've never been in my entire life with no car, no friends, no family, no history out here, just starting new and really planting my seed into the soil here and just starting my own life. I think it was the biggest and best decision I could have ever made. And I never imagined that it would be like this. Um, but I have grown so much professionally. I've grown so much academically. I'm um, advocating for myself in the classroom and also in basketball. My passion has grown so much and um, I'm setting new limits for myself every year. Not limits, I'm setting new goals. There, there are no limits. Um, You're setting limits so you can break them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, new goals. And um, I think that if I wouldn't have come out here and taken the risk, I would have never been able to grow. I would have never been able to um, be my own person because I was so dependent on the people that were close to me. I was, I was really um, leaning on other people. And I think kind of having the chair pulled out from under me, you could say, um, and being forced to grow up in, in LA was, was huge. And it was, it was everything, so. And I have a few questions I like to ask of all my guests, although I have a geography specific question in your case. So what is your favorite, uh, what are your favorite places to visit in LA? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm a beach girl. I'm, I'm a huge beach girl. Um, in Minnesota, I loved going to the lakes. I love spending time outside. So um, I'm half a block from the beach. So um, I could see the beach from my apartment building. Um, so I would say any beach, anytime, anywhere, I'm there. Um, the hikes are amazing here. You look over the ocean, you can see the Hollywood sign. You can see the Hollywood sign from my, my campus. Um, those are two of the big things. Um, I love being in nature. I love the mountains here. I love, um, I love that you can drive two hours and see snow in the mountains, but you can drive half a mile and be on the beach. So it's just, it's a really cool place to be. It really is. It's really fun. I've been meaning to get back there because I told you beforehand, it was the first place I visited that made a good churro. There was this ice cream shop near one of the beaches, I think sweets and, or uh, salt and twist. That's what it was. Okay. Really thick ice cream, but it was really good. And I actually got to stay on Hollywood Boulevard when I covered the 2016 WNBA finals. Okay. Uh, 
because the, only because the first hotel I chose had a bed bug infestation. So I was like, oh, this ain't going to work. Oh, no. Oh so, <laughs> but hey, it worked out. I mean, I got to stay in Hollywood and yeah. found out how big of a tourist trap that is. But it's like, oh, this is so cool that I got to you know, see the TCL, what used to be Man's Chinese Theater and all the handprints, the Walk of Fame and... I don't know if I'll get a chance to go back there, but it's like, hey, you know, if, if it wasn't for those bed bugs, I never would have been able to say I got to be in Hollywood. Like I got a taste of what that was like. And my hotel happened to be next to the Dolby Theater where the Oscars are held in normal years. So um, yeah. I couldn't go into the theater, obviously, but it's like, this Hollywood? is- uh, It's interesting to say the least, but there is really good food. You're right. There's food everywhere and anywhere and it's all good. It's all good food, so yeah. Well, some other questions I'd like to ask of my guests, Megan, uh, include this. So throughout your athletic career, what would you say was the most exciting moment and the most embarrassing moment? Hmm. Um, I would say there's been, a, there's been a lot of exciting moments. There's probably, I would say two that tie. I would say in high school, my one goal was to get to the state tournament. So I think beating Delano in the section championships and just getting to the state tournament was something that I had dreamed of since I started playing competitive basketball. So that was getting there was one of the coolest moments ever. I would say, obviously the second one would be Marquette big East winning the championship, going to the NCAA tournament. Again, as a college athlete, everybody dreams about going to NCAA tournament. And I can say that I did that. I got a ring, won a championship. Like that was so cool. So I would say that those two were incredible things. Um, yeah, those are, those are definitely the biggest things. And then embarrassing, I don't, I don't know. Oh, well, okay, I, I probably could know. There's one that I specifically, this wasn't like in a game, but I remember in high school and I will never forget this. I like played JV varsity, I think freshman year. So I would play half of JV and then I would play two halves of varsity. And I remember coming out of the JV game and I was like going to join the girls in the locker room. I don't know why this, I just remembered this, but this is funny. I went to go join the girls in the locker room and I walk in and it was the other team's locker room. And so they're all sitting there just staring at me. And I remember them saying awkward. And I literally like ran out <laughs> and went to the other locker room. And then I had to play them literally like 10 minutes later. And I don't know why that like was so traumatizing to me. Like it wasn't the biggest deal. Obviously it's very embarrassing, but no one's going to remember that, you know, but I, I definitely do remember that because <laughs> there was, there was so many doors and I was like, Oh, this is the locker room. So yeah, that was definitely a embarrassing moment. Well, Megan, you were right. It was the locker room. It just wasn't your team's <laughs> right. locker room. At all. Uh I'm willing to bet whoever was on that team probably won't forget that either. <laughs> the time when... perfect. No. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely, no. it was definitely a, a funny time. Like, no. you reminded me of that in my senior banquet. So, oh, uh, it, it's just one of those moments. I, I'm guessing that hasn't happened in college. You've always managed to find your locker room. I always make sure that I'm going to the right place. Yes, I definitely didn't make that mistake twice. Well, another question I like to ask of my guests uh, comes from one you might actually recognize in the breakdown guidebooks that are published every year. Mm -hmm. And I think it's still fun to ask even the college or former athletes this, because you never know what you'll get 
what would you say is the most unusual thing about yourself that people wouldn't necessarily know if they meet you for the first time? Um, oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I would say that like, I'm really flexible. Like I like take, I, I stretch a lot because I actually like am prone to like height muscles and everything. So I'm always stretching. I'm always taking care of my muscles, but that with that, I'm very like hyper mobile, meaning that like, I'm just like super flexible. So people just get weirded out because I'm like this really tall girl and my knees like can hyperextend. Like, so they like go back beyond like what's normal. Um, and so that kind of weirds people out. They're like, oh my gosh, like what's going on with your knees? So yeah, that's kind of like a weird thing about me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I won't ask you to show off that flexibility through Zoom again, because I don't know how much space you have in your apartment, but I'll just take your word for it. Uh, I used to have that, then I popped my shoulder and uh, well, that put an end to it. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't fun. Uh, it doesn't sound like it. Oh my gosh. But you also spoke of your appreciation for this journey and how much you have grown, how you went from this awkward looking kid in seventh grade to a division one commit in high school from a player on a team that didn't win a whole lot to making Orno a state tournament contender that continued for several years mm -hmm. and then doing it again in college. And as you said, taking doubts from critics and smashing them. So with everything you've experienced in basketball, outside of basketball, what would you tell a younger version of yourself? Um, oh my gosh, I just, I always say this and people always make fun of me because I, I'm so corny, but trust the process. Like it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to suck. It's going to be terrible at some points in your life. It, it really is. But every terrible moment in my life has shaped me into who I am today. Every hard moment has, I've learned from and I, and, and, you know, I've grown from, and I think that like we talked about those losing moments and we talked about the hardships that I went through at my other school. And I think that without having those losing moments, you're not going to get winning moments. And without the hardships, I'm not going to end up in LA. And, you know, I think that you just have to trust that everything is going to work out. And sometimes it might not, but there's a reason that it's not going to work out. And that's what I believe um, that I've been directed to this path of success through my failures, which isn't even a failure. I think I don't, I don't believe in failures. I believe in, again, either you succeed or you learn. And I think that those major hardships in my life have really shaped me into who I am today. So well put, Megan. There are a couple more things I wanted to explore if we have time. And you mentioned the period in that transit year where you were looking at other schools. So you knew you were going to leave Marquette. And for a time, you said you weren't sure if you wanted to continue playing basketball. We take mental health far more seriously than I think we used to even 10 years ago. What was the most difficult part about that transition period and what helped you navigate that rough terrain? Yeah, um, mental health is something that was 
I would say I, I actually had, um, I struggled with my physical health in high school. And so with my physical health issues, I kind of started to get an introduction into mental health issues. Um, and I think that my freshman year of college was mentally the worst, lowest place that I've ever been in my entire life. And it was impacting my health. It was impacting my basketball career. It was impacting my relationships. I had a boyfriend at the time. It impacted that, my friendships. Um, there was just so many things that were impacted because of it. And um, I was the most unhealthy I have ever been physically and mentally. And I think that one of the biggest things that helped me kind of snap out of this moment in time, this period of time that was really hard for me was my mom. And I think that if it were my choice, I would have stayed home and never went to college again and, you know, kind of just sulk in the basement. But I think with my mom, who is someone I look up to, she's incredibly strong and um, she motivates me to be successful. And I think that her pushing me to be successful and she knows I have that passion in me. And <clears throat> she pushed me out to take a visit to California and, um, you know, having her kind of nudge me into this life that I'm living now was so crucial because I would not have done it. I was not mentally strong enough to do it. I was so fragile. And um, I think that, I mean, obviously at LMU, I've had times of struggle. I've had a lot of times of struggle. I've had some serious injuries. I've had some major losses in my life. I've had some really traumatic things happen. But <clears throat> I think that because of my mom and the example that she sets, and then also the experience that I had at Marquette, I think that I know how to cope and I know how to get help if I need it. And I'm not afraid to talk about mental health and I'm not afraid to talk to my friends about mental health. And I feel like I've mentored a lot of people through different struggles because I've been through some pretty serious things myself. So um, I think that mental health is amazing to talk about. And um, <clears throat> I think that a lot of people should most athletes if not all athletes should try therapy get help if they need it talk about it um it's not something to be ashamed of i mean everybody's going to experience some different form of mental health throughout their life whether it's serious or if it's you know seasonal or anything i just think that um it's never anything that you should be ashamed of and um i'm stronger because of what i went through and I'm healthier and happier and um, more successful now because of it. So, yeah. And I have to give you props, Megan. It takes some courage sometimes to reveal that part about yourself. And I think with athletes for so long, they are accustomed to being this impenetrable bastion of strength and that you can muscle and navigate and... <laughs> guide yourself through anything that nothing can stand in your way. And then you realize, oh, it doesn't always work that way. And not necessarily through any fault of your own. It, sometimes things happen. And you know this, when you play a sport, it's competitive. Everyone wants to win. That means you're going to have some tough losses, or as you said, learning experiences. And, you know, I don't know how much detail you are comfortable getting into. But, you know, when you said, I've been through, a, I've been through a lot of highs, but I've also been through a lot of lows that sound like, aren't necessarily tied to basketball. Mm -hmm. And I think your story, again, you know, you share as much as you're comfortable with. I don't know your backstory in full, but it sounds like 
you can speak to what so many other athletes go through and that, yeah, it can be great. Sometimes it can also suck and it's okay to be fragile. You don't have to be super strong all the time or you don't have to mask yourself in order to look strong or be strong. And that sometimes admitting your fragilities, guilt and all of that can be a sign of strength too. Definitely. I think that, I mean, it's, this is a long period of your life. It's four years. So, I mean, everybody's going to have some sort of either loss or I feel like just some hardships in their life. And I think that having your team around you is incredible to have that support system. And if not, then having someone that's not connected to the team that can help you. Um, I just think for me, it was, there was a lot of like close family um, I mean, we had like a lot of health issues in my family, very specific, like very close to my heart. I had a couple people pass away that were really close to me. Um, I had serious health issues myself. I had some pretty scary injuries that I've had to deal with. Um, and I think that again, having the support system, being able to be open and vulnerable is huge. I know it's easier said than done, but um, I was a very closed off person. And as I became more open and um, more vulnerable, I think that other people began to trust me more because if I can share my experience then they can share theirs. And um, I think that my relationship has grown so much with people that I'm around now because um, I mean, you know, we can just share in different experiences that we've had and um, you know, be there for each other because life is hard. <laughs> you know, it's only going to get harder. And I think that having a, a strong support system is crucial to becoming mentally healthy and physically healthy too. So. Megan, that last part, life is hard. I think that's an understatement considering <laughs> the last 12 months. Really? Exactly. I, well, like I remember this time a year ago, I'm stuck at home wondering what's going to happen. And, you know, here we are vaccines. We got those in less than a year. We're not out of the woods yet as far as the pandemic, but I certainly feel a lot better about it than a year ago. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I went through that too. I <laughs> sought out a psychological therapist for the first time in years because one I used to work with uh, retired many years ago. And, you know, I was able to find one through my health insurance and, you know, that has been a big help. Mm -hmm. um, but, what you said too, I think being open about yourself is so crucial because as you were saying, if you are willing to share yourself, others who might be struggling or might have doubts or fears about how they might be perceived will look to you and go, well, I know I can rely on at least one person. So I'm appreciative for that. And Megan, I think that is going to help you if you decide to get into training or teaching because you wanna work with kids and being one yourself all those years ago, you'll be able to speak to some of their experiences because no matter what, kids, they're always going to look for ways to fit in. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a lot of fears and hopes and dreams as they try to figure out who they are, what they stand for, their identity and all of that. So definitely. How would you say, as you look forward, whether it's as a professional basketball athlete, a teacher, a trainer, or maybe all three rolled into one, <laughs> I've got a feeling the world is your <laughs> canvas at this point, so there's nothing you can't do. 
<laughs> How do you think that will prepare you to be a leader for the next generation of people, whether it's the kids you teach, the athletes you train, or the people you might meet if you're able to take up basketball professionally? Well, leadership has always been um, a big part of my life. I was in the student council in elementary school, and you know, I've tried to take leadership roles as, as I can. And um, going a little bit into my leadership at LMU, I am a student athlete mentor. I'm a note taker for disability services. So I actually, kids that are in class and they struggle, I take notes for them and I submit them so they can have something to work with. And then I'm on the student athlete advisory committee so I was actually flown from my um, school. I was one of two people for the university to represent the school at a leadership summit. So I was flown out, which was super amazing and cool. I loved it. Um, and I try to take that and I try to, um, as I meet new people and as I grow in my leadership abilities and I love to read different leadership books, I think it's so fun and cool. Um, as I grow in my experience, I wanna share that with others. And so, um, when I was mentoring other student athletes, typically it's freshmen as they come in. Um, I, I like to take kids under my wing, either recruits, I actually have a recruit call today, but um, if it's recruits, if it's transfers, if it's freshmen, if it's, I mean, either, even my senior teammate, I think that I wanna be someone that they can rely on. I want them to have somebody because in some circumstances, I didn't have somebody when I transferred here. I might not have had a mentor like I would have hoped. And so I think that having someone who has had similar experiences, whether they need someone that has transferred already, they're transferring, helping them find housing or a freshman get acclimated in that sense or anything. I think that um, since I've been through so many different experiences in my life, um, I can kind of be that bridge to hopefully success somewhere else. And I wanna be able to share that with other people, so. Going back to what I think your motto is, be the person you wish you had when you were younger. It, it sounds like that is what you have set out to do no matter what field you take up. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling so many people are going to benefit from that attitude that you have instilled in your own life, Megan. So I, I'm sure we're going to be hearing about you for a long time, whether it relates to basketball or not. As crazy as this might sound, is there anything else, is there anything else about your story that you would like to touch on that we haven't addressed yet? Um, I don't think so. I think that, I mean, the process has been hard. It's been rocky for everybody else. I think one of the biggest things is that I didn't mention, but my mom growing up, I lived in a single parent household and it was me and my mom and my brothers. And I think that ultimately that shaped me into who I was and who I am. And I think that seeing my mom as a leader and she's an attorney as a strong businesswoman, I think that inspired me to do the same. And so I'm actually applying right now to get my master's um, in business. Um, and I wanna take my experience in science and teaching and I wanna bring that into the business world and I wanna be a strong, powerful businesswoman. And I think that um, with seeing that my mom doing it by herself and I kind of see that, I see her in me. I'm out here on my own in LA doing things by myself. I just kind of see that like sky's the limit, like, you know, 
So I'm going to keep pushing on and um, I hope that somehow, somehow where that there's a girl out there that can see this and um, can see her potential. And I just, I mean, it excites me that kids have so much growing and learning to do. And I think that's why I take so much pride in mentoring them is because I want them to see that early. I don't want them to have to go through eight years of trying to figure it out. I want them, I mean, obviously it's going to take some growing, but I think that instilling confidence and power in young kids and women. And I mean, I think it's huge. I think it's amazing. And yeah, so I think that's all I have. <laughs> well, Megan, after we're done taping, I have a couple of contacts uh, I could pass along to you when you mentioned that you're going for your master's in business because I have a few other basketball friends who follow that same path. And it's like, you know, I could uh, get you in touch with some folks to help you build that business acumen too. Well, I, it's like, I was surprised. You should have seen me perk up when you said that, but it's like, should you really be surprised? Mike, Megan's done just about everything else. <laughs> well, I do, I do, I do take pride in trying different things and um, pushing myself. I think it's important, but I do have this extra year of eligibility, which has been amazing. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm pushing myself to, to try something new. I'm excited. So. Well, I'm excited to see what your future holds, whether it's getting a double, double at LMU, <laughs> maybe breaking your own records. I, who's to say that's out of reach. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> And then if you were able to parlay that, well, being a professional basketball athlete is a good way to start uh, a business profile because that uh, can get you places as some of my fellow basketball friends can attest to. And you really are this beacon of versatility, Megan. I don't know how else to describe it. You know, I know a lot of folks who focus on one thing, but with you, it seems like you want to try out all these different avenues, see what works, and then maybe find a way to mold them all into one. And you know what? There probably would be some overlap with business and teaching and training and everything and how that all goes together. A lot of the ideals and philosophies carry over. So mm -hmm. Megan, I, I take this up. I started covering women's basketball all these years ago as a way to give athletes a platform that you wouldn't necessarily have and so that folks out there can hear about all these stories. And I'm glad I get to play a small part in yours. Yes, thank you so much. And it's cool to see, because obviously you interviewed me in high school at you know some of our games. And it's cool just to see, look back, see where I was, where I am now. And I mean, in the future, where I'm going to be. So it's, it's really fun to have these documented for sure. So thank you for having me. I remember that I actually watched that interview and I cringed a little bit. I wasn't quite as polished in my technique as I am now, but like you said, it's always a growing process. You and I might be done growing as far as height is concerned, but that doesn't mean we can't stop learning. Definitely. Megan Mandel, you can hopefully see your next season if fans are allowed at Loyola Marymount. And even if they're not, uh, uh, find a way to check out one of those LMU games because I've got a feeling Macon's going to set a few more records before her eligibility is done, but I'm happy for the time, Megan. And I always have high respect for the athletes I cover, but I even have more respect for you now. That's my takeaway from this. Thank you so much. Well, thanks again, Megan. And hopefully we'll see her do big things in basketball and
in the professional world, wherever she ends up. If you want to be a guest on a future episode of this program, just contact us at the Mike Peden on Twitter or Instagram. All you need is a good story and we'll be happy to share it. So until next time, thanks for watching. If you'd like to support TSB television programming, check us out on Patreon, PayPal, or Cash App. And thanks for watching Mike Up Sports.